join me in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for the name of Jesus that calms our fears, that brings healing into these broken lives, the name of Jesus that brings us hope for future and helps us to walk through the difficult days of this life. In our joys and our sorrows, we lift up the name of Jesus. And on one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you indeed are Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your family that is gathered here today. I pray that you will be especially close to all of us as we look into your word today, together. I pray that we will be encouraged by your word and by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you will be with those who are walking through difficult times of financial or emotional or physical uh, sicknesses. I pray, Lord, that you will be close to those who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that you will comfort those who mourn. We also lift up the leaders of our nation, our, our state, and our communities. I pray that you will give them godly wisdom, that they will hear your voice, and Lord, that your name will be glorified and your kingdom will come. And now let's pray together the prayer that the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for worshiping together. You may be seated. Thank you, Mike and Anna, for leading us today. I would like to express sympathy to a couple of families who lost loved ones on Monday of this past week. Uh, Jack and Rhonda Pope and family, we express our sympathy to them. Rhonda's sister, Cindy Wright, passed away on Monday, uh, and she's in the presence of Jesus. We rejoice in her victory, but we ask uh, that you consider this family and lift them up in prayer. Also to Gary and Ann Voss and their family, uh, Ann's father, Henry uh, Nierhoff from, I believe, Indiana passed away this past week as well, or from Wisconsin, I'm sorry. And so we lift them up in our prayers. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the comforter, and he's very near to those who walk through these times. So uh, keep them in your prayers. It's September the 1st, Labor Day weekend, and it's a privilege to be able to uh, share God's Word with you today. This is the time of year when something kind of shifts up here in my mind. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's the cooler temperatures. I don't know whether it's the uh, uh, football season or maybe the smell of corn silage being chopped. But something happens this time of year uh, that I turn into three months of crazy. <laughs> Some of you may think it takes a little longer than that. But for me, I think it's about three months. And, and I, when I'm driving down the highway and I look out in the field and see a combine and a grain cart, it's all I can do to just keep driving. I want to drive through the ditch and out in the field and say, here I am, I'm here to help. Something kind of crazy goes on this time of year for me. And I think it actually stems back to um, uh, growing up, uh, us seven boys, we had seven boys and two girls and dad would call us to breakfast in the morning and quite often in the fall, We'd be sitting around the breakfast table, and Dad would say the words that every farm kid loves to hear. He'd say, well, I think I need you more than the teacher does today. Yeah! <laughs> now, if you're an educator, I'm sorry. Uh, 
<laughs> just saying it like it is. Uh, we loved it. Our, our mentality shifted in September, October, November. And by the way, congratulations to the Cyclones and the Hawkeyes. What a great game yes, games yesterday. Just kind of setting it all up for two weeks from now, right? Can I get a little vote here? Cyclones? Hawkeyes? No contest. <laughs> I, I'm a Hawkeye fan, I admit, but I've got a little bit of uh, uneasiness about the 14th. We'll see what happens. At any rate, uh, it is fall, it's harvest time, and today we're going to be talking about the promise of the harvest. Scripture actually talks about two kinds of harvest. A personal harvest, the general laws of sowing and reaping that happen in all of our lives every day, and we're going to talk about that for a little while. But the Bible also talks about a kingdom harvest when we are preparing for the final ingathering of souls at the end of days. The Bible is very clear that on, uh, uh, at the end of days, uh, there will be a harvest that takes place. The reaper will come, and there will be judgment, and there will be reward on that day. So we're going to talk about both the personal harvest and about the kingdom harvest today. And uh, we talked, uh, let's, let's go to our first slide, the promise of the harvest from Galatians chapter 6, um, the urgency of the harvest from John chapter 4, and the joy of the harvest from Psalm 126. And then the next slide, the promise of the harvest was actually given to us, first of all, in Genesis chapter 8. If you remember about a month ago, we talked about the promise of the rainbow and the covenant that God made with Noah after he and his family came off of the ark. And if you recall, along with the, that covenant, he said, I will never again destroy earth with waters of, or a flood of waters. But there was also something else that God promised in this covenant. In Genesis chapter 8, he said this, as long as the earth endures, harvest, uh, seed time and harvest, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So God gave a promise right from the very beginning after Noah and his family stepped off the ark that there would always be a harvest. He promised it. It may not always be as big as we want. It might not always be as uh, what we expect, but God has always promised a harvest. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Galatians 6, verses 7 to 10, we're going to talk first about the personal harvest, uh, that general um, Harvest of Sowing and Reaping, the Laws of Sowing and Reaping. It's page 1155 in your pew Bible, Galatians, the sixth chapter, beginning with verse 7. This is the word of the Lord. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is the word of the Lord. The promise of the harvest. Can I take you to a tractor seat for a little while this morning, just to explain a little bit about the general laws of sowing and reaping? This is not rocket science. This is not anything new for any of you. We've talked about sowing and reaping all of our lives, so, uh, but I think it's good to re be reminded once in a while that you do reap what you sow. You can't sow your wild oats and expect to reap a good harvest. 
Uh, my folks used to talk about the young people in the church, and they say, oh, they're sowing their wild oats. Some people sow their wild oats and hope for crop failure, but it doesn't work that way. If you sow those things, you're going to have a harvest. So today, we're going to look from a tractor seat, and three lessons that I've learned from a tractor seat over the years, you can kind of view life different from there, and whenever I need to get close to God, I just look for a farmer that's got a tractor I can drive, and I spend some time out there. Three lessons I've learned from a tractor seat. The first one is this, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Um, and as I just said, you can't sow wild oats and expect a good harvest. You're going to reap exactly the seed that you've sowed. In Job chapter 4, the writer says, As I have observed those who plow evil and sow trouble will reap it. In Proverbs 22 verse 8, He who sows wickedness reaps trouble. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but have any of you ever sowed some bad seed that came back with a harvest? <laughs> yeah, I think all of you know what I'm talking about. And it's... it's uh, when the harvest actually comes, you think, why did I do that? Why did I do that? You're going to reap what you sow. God can't be fooled, Galatians says, where we just read, God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. I had a good neighbor that, that uh, used to plant thistles every summer. <laughs> he would, he would uh, wait till the thistles got nice, those red top thistles got nice and bright and red and just ready to go to seed. And then he'd think, oh, I need to do something about those thistles. So he'd go out with his bat wing mower and he'd just mow the pasture. And it looked so good until the next year <laughs> because all of those seeds came back. You reap what you sow. You can't fool Mother Nature, and you can't fool God. I'd like to uh, have you just think a little bit about your life very quickly. What are you sowing into? What are you investing in? Uh, maybe it's a good thing once in a while. I'm, I'm not much of a money preacher, but I think it's a good thing once in a while to look at our checkbooks and see what is it we're investing in. Just, just take a look at your bank statement and see... Am I investing in things that will last eternally? Or am I investing in things that will be here and gone tomorrow? You reap what you sow. If you invest in kingdom work, you're going to reap kingdom benefits. So keep that in mind. You reap what you sow. The second lesson I learned from a tractor seed is you reap after you sow. The risk comes first and then the reward. In Galatians 6, 9, we just read, if you, if you, if you sow... At the proper time, you'll reap a harvest at the proper time. Now, there's two reasons we need to, to learn this and to remember it. First of all, it gets us off our duff and into the field to plant the seed. If we wait for the last dollar to come in before we invest the first dollar, we'll never accomplish anything. We have to take risks. And the cross was the ultimate risk when Jesus Christ invested his life into ours. And he, and he did it without a, any promise of reward. He took the risk and laid down his life. And then after the seed was planted was the reward. You sow first and then you reap. It also helps us, the second reason it helps us to keep from being discouraged while we wait for a harvest. Paul said, let us not grow weary in well-doing for we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
So don't give up on what you're investing in. You plant first, and then comes the harvest. I, I used to, in the, in the spring of the year, after it was, it, I'd go out in the field and I would dig up the seed to see how I was doing. I had a neighbor came to me one time and says, Phil, you'll never have a crop. I said, why not? He said, you're digging it all up. Because I wanted to know what was going on. I was kind of impatient. I wanted to see that seed grow. But see, when you plant the seed, you've got to wait. That's kind of tough sometimes. Maybe you've invested in a child or a grandchild and you don't see anything happening yet. Maybe you've been praying diligently for that family member or that loved one for years and years and years. I want to encourage you today that uh, you sow the seed first and then later you receive the reward. Keep believing, keep praying, keep investing because in due season you will reap a harvest if you faint not and if you don't give up. You reap after you sow. The third lesson I learned from a tractor seat is you reap more than you sow. Now this can be good and bad. <laughs> if you've been sowing wild oats and you have a big harvest, that's not a good thing. But if you've been sowing into God's kingdom, been investing in your children and your grandchildren's lives, you reap more than you sow. I, I can remember so many times when, I'm, when my parents were li living and we'd have family reunion and I used to just love seeing the smile on dad's face when all the kids would come home. There were, from dad on down, there were about 180 of us. And uh, when we would all get together, we'd have to rent a pretty big facility. Dad and mom's house didn't work anymore. But dad would just be grinning from ear to ear because he saw his investment paying off in us. Sometimes he would cry, almost every time he would cry tears of joy just because the family was home. His investment was being realized. And so I want to encourage you in your families, in your church, in your personal life, you will reap more than you sow. You will reap more than you sow. I'm always intrigued. I, one of my rituals in the spring, and I've, I kind of apologize for all the farm talk because uh, <laughs> some of you may not relate to this. After the first service, I had somebody came up to me and they said they didn't really understand all the farm talk, but they said, there's a, there's a Disney movie that made sense to me, so, so I should have had her stay and give you the Disney version of this message. <laughs> it was something about Beauty and the Beast and the petals falling off. That's all I know about it. So <laughs> if you can figure it out from there, more power to you. But you're getting the farm version from here. Sorry. Uh, where was I on that? <laughs> you re oh, okay. The ritual I had in the spring, I would go out to the machine shed and I would, I'd have all the seed piled up in the corner and I would look at it and I would visualize what that would become in four and a half months. That small pile of seed would fill grain bin after grain bin after grain bin. In fact, in four and a half months, one seed becomes almost 800 in a normal year. You see, God isn't into addition. God's into multiplication. And when you sow seeds, it comes back in abundance. That's just the way it works. You reap more than you sow. So now I want to transition a little bit from the tractor seat and the personal harvest and the laws of sowing and reaping. I want to talk about the kingdom harvest for the balance of the message today. Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 13. It was called the parable of the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds. And the story goes <clears throat> that uh, the, the vineyard worker or the farm workers went out to harvest a field and they came back to the owner, and they said, hey, the, the, the field is filled with weeds. What are we going to do? Shall we go out and pull the weeds? 
And the owner said, well, no. He said, I want you just to harvest, we'll harvest it. If you pull the weeds, it'll pull the weed up with it. So let's not do that. He said, well, I want you to do is to go out and we'll harvest the crop and then I'll separate, we'll separate the weed uh, from the seed, from the good seed. That was the parable of the wheat and the tares. I tried that parable on my dad one time when we were walking beans. <laughs> I said, dad, whenever I pull a weed, it brings a bean up with it. We're wasting time and wasting your money. Dad loved scripture, but he didn't buy. <laughs> he said, Phil, get back to work. But in this parable, uh, Jesus was making sure we understood that there would come a day when the reaper would come and harvest all of the souls of mankind. That some would be harvested to final judgment and some would be harvested to final glory and to eternal glory. And so today I want us to spend a little bit of time talking about that eternal harvest, that kingdom harvest, that day when the wheat and the weeds are gathered together. First I want to talk about the urgency of the harvest. If I could have the next slide from John chapter 4, we read these words. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest already. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. As we look around our world today and our communities, I believe it's very obvious to all of us that the fields are ripe that there are souls all around us who are perishing into a lost eternity. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all could come to repent, would come to repentance. So my challenge to us today as a church is to become urgent in our realization of the harvest. For us to understand that the day is coming when no man can work. This is the time for harvest this is the time for us to be about the Father's business. In our house, the lazy days of summer quickly become the crazy days of harvest. And I could tell you story after story after story about harvest, and I'm not going to bore you with all of them. Some of them would probably get me in trouble. But we did some pretty wild and crazy things bringing the crop in because it was everything. It was everything you had worked for. And that, that moment had come, and everything else was put on hold. We would work day and night, and one of... One of the stories I remember uh, was backing up over the bed of my new ram with a combine. Uh, I'm not sure why my wife parked the pickup behind the combine anyway, and I'm really not sure when my combine stopped why I hit the hydro lever even harder <laughs> to try to get past whatever obstruction it was. Uh, but anyway, I, I ended up with the back wheel of the combine in the back of the pickup, and my insurance uh, guy didn't really understand all that, uh, and I guess I see why. But we did crazy things during harvest time. One day I actually ran over my brother with a tractor, with the back wheels of a tractor. Thankfully, the dirt was very soft and his life was spared. I was only five years old at the time. We did crazy things at harvest. You say, Phil, why are you talking about all that nonsense? Because harvest was everything. Harvest was everything. There was an urgency that everything else took back seat to the harvest. And I think if we look around us today, we realize the urgency of harvest for us as believers in Christ. The fields are ripe for harvest. It's time. 
And third, I want to talk about the joy of the harvest. If we could go to the next slide from Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6, we read these words. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying his sheaves with him. The context of this scripture in Psalms talks about sowing in tears. And I never used to understand that until I had someone explain to me what it was like uh, back in Bible times. What they did, they would take the best seed from the year before and they would hang, hang it in a drying shed. And after it had dried, they would gather it in bags. And that was, their, that was their seed for the following year. It couldn't be touched. If they devoured that seed, they would have nothing to, go, uh, to live on in years later. And the picture was painted of people... The, the scripture is painting the picture of a family who was almost out of grain, almost out of food to put on the table, and there was a tremendous temptation to raid the seed shed. That seed that was saved for, uh, for planting for the following season, there would be a temptation to go and get that to feed the family, but the head of the household would say, no, we can't do that. We can't touch that or we won't have anything ever again. And so they would take that precious seed and they would go out in the field and invest it again. And there would be tears shed because of the risk involved in that investment. They knew that that seed that could be eaten at the table was now going to die. But Jesus explained it this way. He said, unless a kernel of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. So they were sowing in tears, but the psalmist says those who sow in tears will reap with joy because God brings a harvest. God has promised a harvest of eternal life. There is great sorrow in death. And I don't want to belittle that this morning at all. We as a church have walked through that valley intensely for months, even for years. And it's a difficult place to be. It's a painful place to be. I just got word of, a, of, an, of an uncle who, 97 years old, who's nearing the end of his journey, and, and it just does something. He's the last of that generation. He was one of the guys that stormed the, board, uh, the beaches of Normandy. And I was just thinking about the sadness that goes with that. Sowing in tears. When we lay someone in the ground, there's tears, there's sorrow. But those who sow in tears will reap with joy because of the joy of the resurrection and the promise of the harvest. I'm going to share with you today just a, a few cool resurrection stories because, you see, Jesus, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul talked about Jesus as being the first fruits of the harvest. Can I share with you just a little bit of interesting information? This is background stuff, but I would encourage you to study this out. In the Jewish calendar, they had seven annual feasts that they celebrated. And there were three of them that happened back to back to back. One of them was Passover on a Thursday. Then on Friday was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then on Sunday was the Feast of first fruits when uh, in the spring when they harvested their crop, their spring crop, they would bring the first fruits into the temple and they would celebrate the harvest. It was called the Feast of first fruits. Isn't it incredible that 
2,000 years later, after God had given those three feasts, what happened on Thursday? The Last Supper, right? That was the Feast of Passover. What happened on Friday? Jesus' body was broken and put in the grave, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what happened on Sunday? The Feast of Firstfruits. Jesus Christ resurrected, and he is the firstfruits. He is a prototype of what's going to happen to all of us one day. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Just as you have borne the likeness of the man from earth, so shall you also bear the likeness of the man from heaven. My friends, all of us, unless Jesus comes, are going to go by way of the grave, and there will be sorrow. There will be tears. But I want us to take hope in the resurrection that Jesus Christ is the first fruits. And just as we have borne the likeness of Adam, so will we also bear the likeness of Jesus Christ, the second Adam. I, I want to share with you some cool resurrection stories because you know what? Heaven has a pretty good record when it comes to death and life. All the way from the beginning, there's some, there's some pretty awesome stories. One of them is the poor widow's son in 1 Kings chapter 17 with the prophet Elijah where the, uh, this widow's son dies and, and Elijah goes up into his room and he stretches himself out on him three times and then uh, the life of God came back into this boy and he brought him down to his mom and said, look, your son is alive. That's the first one we read about. The second one is a rich woman's son in 2 Kings chapter 4 in Shunem, the city of Shunem, with the prophet Elisha. First one was Elijah, then Elisha. And in this story, he stretched himself out on the boy two times the boy sneezed seven times, and he ran down to his mom and says, come get your boy, he's alive again. And then the coolest resurrection story of all, I get, I think this is an, I want to watch a rerun of this in heaven. I hope God recorded all this stuff. Uh, the, the Moabites were marauding the, the Israelite land. Elisha had just died and was buried in a tomb, kind of an open sepulcher type deal, a vault, so the Moabites were coming in and raiding the Israelites, plundering their harvest, and the Israelites were trying to fight them off, and in the, in the battle, one of their soldiers was killed. And they didn't have time to bury him, so they take his body and they throw him in the tomb of Elijah, or Elisha, and you know what happened? As soon as that young man hit Elisha's bones, he sprang back to life again and came out of the tomb alive. Now, is that a wild story or what? You know what it tells me? There was life in those bones. There was life in Elisha's, or Elisha's bones. Remember what Jesus said in John 11? He said, he who lives and believes in me will never die. Newsflash, believers in Jesus don't die. Believers in Jesus do not die. They take a nap. That's all it is. I'm not making light of this. That's what it is. We are taking a nap. 18 times in the New Testament, Jesus or, or the apostles talked about the death of sleep or the sleep of death, I'm sorry. Over and over, Jesus said, he's not dead, he's just sleeping. How about if we shifted our thinking a little bit and realized that there's life in those bones even when they're in the grave? My mother was laid to rest almost 60 years ago at Evergreen Cemetery out at Lighton. You know what? 60 years, 54 years later, 56 years later, there's still life in those bones. Because one day, 
When the trumpet sounds, the Bible says those who are dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Can I get an amen? Yes. Well, that's kind of weak, but I can just see you folks on resurrection day and people going up everywhere. Amen. (laughs) This is exciting stuff, folks. There's life in those bones. Believers in Jesus Christ do not die They take a nap. Now, I have a couple other cool resurrection stories. Jesus' best friend, Lazarus. We talked about it already. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out of the grave. And like I've said before, if he hadn't used his name, probably everybody in the cemetery would have come out. Because that's the power in Jesus' name. There's life in those bones. And then one of my, another one of my favorites is in, in uh, Jerusalem, the holy city. And I title this one, Holy Dudes in the Holy City. There were some resurrection rumblings at the time of Jesus' death. Did you know that? When Jesus died, it says there was darkness over Jerusalem for three hours. And at the, at the end of the three hours, Jesus cried out, It is finished! And into the Father's hands I commend my spirit. And at that very moment, it says there was a violent earthquake. The veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. And you know what else happened? We don't talk about this much. It says the graves were opened around the city of Jerusalem and people were resurrected right out of the graves and walked around the holy city. Talk about crazy. There's life in those bones. The reason I tell you all this is because Jesus Christ is the first fruits. Heaven has a good record when it comes to death and life. I'm going to tell you about Jesus, the first fruits, the prototype. He had a physical body after he resurrected. You could touch him. He could eat. He could drink. He had a physical body, but it was without the physical limitations of matter, time, and space. He could pass through walls. The Bible says that he would appear immediately. Now, you might say, that does not fit my physics template. (laughs) That's all right. God wrote the first book of physics. I think he can write a new one. (laughs) Jesus Christ's body, his physical body, is an example of what is going to be for all of us. Just as we, I'm going to say it again, I'll probably say it ten times today, just as we have borne the likeness of the man from earth, so will we also bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Let me tell you today all that you need to know about Jesus, this Jesus, my King. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. The stone could not stop him. The guards could not steal him. Walls could not contain him. Kings can't conquer him. Governments can't silence him. The devil can't touch him. And on the day when that last trumpet sounds, all of heaven will not contain him. The sky will roll open to reveal him. The mountains will split beneath him. The whole earth will look upon him. CNN won't know what hit him. And the saints will rise to meet him. And at that moment, I will bow in humble adoration and there proclaim My God, how great thou art. Sing with me. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. 
Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. I want to share just a couple of personal stories, too, about death and resurrection. Now, I haven't personally seen anybody resurrected, but I will. But I want to tell you two quick stories. One happened a month ago, and one happened just two weeks ago, and I wasn't able to be, I didn't see this personally. Two weeks ago, a cousin of mine passed away. He was 85 years old. And he, his name was Leland. Leland was, wasn't an emotional guy. He was just common, ordinary to farm guy. I don't think he ever did anything wild and crazy. He was just very down to earth. I don't think I'd ever heard him use a word like wow or amazing or awesome. He was just one of those guys, you know. And he was in the hospital here a couple weeks ago, and he had suffered a a mild heart attack, and he was recovering. He wasn't on morphine or anything like that. He was just in the hospital room, thought he was going to be able to come home, and all of a sudden things went the other way. And, and his family came in. To, they called the family in, and he was just kind of looking around the top of the room, and his family says, Dad, are you seeing angels? And he said, No, I don't think so. You know, down-to-earth farm guy, probably not. And his daughter-in-law was telling me the story. After a little bit, he looked up, in the ceiling, and his eyes got huge. And all I could say was, wow! And his next breath was his last one. And I thought, I don't know which is the biggest, mirac biggest miracle. Uh, Leland saying, wow! <laughs> or the fact that he was seeing something that we couldn't see, that the family couldn't see. Folks, you cannot tell me that God has not fixed something up for us that's beyond our imagination. He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Wow. And then the other story happened a month ago. I was, I was standing in uh, Friends Cemetery in New Sharon. <clears throat> I was standing beside a casket of a 19-year-old boy who had lost his life in a farm accident. He was a good buddy of mine growing up in the church. He was, he was one of my favorite little guys. He loved the Lord, but he had a, he'd had a tough life. And suffice it to say, there was nothing redeeming about that moment whatsoever. And I didn't know how to bring, there was, there was we, we had a nice memorial service, but there was just a heaviness about that place. And the Linville Soleil wrestling cheerleaders were standing behind me because Ben was a wrestler. And I was standing at the ca casket and this song just kept going through my mind. It's an old Johnny Cash song. And it's actually been re uh, remake by Bethel Music. Can you imagine Bethel doing a, a Johnny Cash song? <laughs> 
But I stand in there and I put my hand on the casket and I just started to sing. Ain't no grave gonna hold this body down. Ain't no grave gonna hold this body down. When that last trumpet sounds, I'm gonna rise right out of the ground. There ain't no grave gonna hold this body down. Ain't no grave gonna hold this body down. And you know what? The mood of that place changed. As soon as I got finished, the cheerleaders did a, did a cheer before they were crying and couldn't get... Then they did a cheer, go fight, win, or something like that. And the mood of that moment completely switched, not because I sang a Johnny Cash song, but because our focus was on the resurrection and the life and that believers in Jesus Christ do not die. They take a nap. There's going to come a day when people from every tongue and tribe and nation are gathered around at that final harvest, and I want to read about it in the book of Revelation chapter 7. We read these words. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Would you join us in worshiping him this morning with the song, He Reigns. Mm-hmm.